Hey everyone, you are watching Multipolarista. This is Benjamin Norton. I'm joined by a great friend of the show, one of the journalists I admire most, Ali Abunima. And today we're talking about Palestine, Israel, and the mainstream political acceptance now that Palestine, that people of Palestine are being subjected to an apartheid regime by Israel. Now, this has unleashed a political firestorm in the United States, but Amnesty International, a mainstream human rights organization, you know, there, there's certainly a lot to criticize about them, but the fact that they have this mainstream credibility and have now come out and published a report saying very clearly that Israel is an apartheid regime that is committing a crime against humanity has caused a massive political scandal in Western governments. This is the report that Amnesty International published on February 1st, titled Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians, a Cruel System of Domination and a Crime Against Humanity. So I knew when, I, when this came out that I had to bring on Ali. If any of you don't know Ali, he is the, the creator and editor of Electronic Intifada, which you can go to electronicintifada.net. I have it up on the screen here one of the best resources on Palestine, Israel, bringing original journalism, reporting from inside Palestine and from around the world. I've learned so much from the Electronic Intifada and Ali has you know, helped create this, this incredible resource for us. And as soon as I heard this report, Ali, I knew that I had to have you on to talk about what, what this means because you've had some good reports, which we can talk about today in, in our discussion, You've had some good reports analyzing what makes this statement different. Like I said, Amnesty International, there's a lot to criticize about it. I certainly have had many criticisms, but it ha it's as mainstream as an NGO gets, as a human rights organization gets. And this declaration follows similar reports released last year by Human Rights Watch, another organization that, again, I have criticized a lot and there's a lot to criticize, but again, another mainstream organization and Bet Salem, which is another important human rights organization in Palestine, Israel, all three of these mainstream NGOs have now come out using the A word, saying that Israel is an apartheid regime. So I know there's a lot to say, but what are your original, uh, what, what, what are your cursory thoughts? What are the thoughts that first came to you when, when this Amnesty International report came out? Well, thanks, Ben. First, let me say uh, thank you for having me on and congratulations on uh, Multipolarista, the new outlet you've created. And uh, I know that you're going to continue doing great journalism and um, uh, facilitating great discussions. So uh, I'm really you, happy, to, happy to be on. So, um, you know, the Amnesty report is not a surprise. Uh, I think it was... Uh, in a sense, an open secret that this was coming. Um, and uh, the report is the result of several years of research. You know, Amnesty had put out uh, a 200-page report um, and a lot of uh, other material. They've done, to their credit, a really good uh, online, um, uh, you know, on, if you go on their website and you click on the item on, about uh, this Israel apartheid report, they've done a really nice job of laying this out really clearly for people in a way that I think uh, is impossible uh, to deny. Um, and 
Israel's reaction to this report has been really, you know, the word that's been used in the Israeli media is hysterical. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, many journalists and organizations, including us, received embargoed copies of the report, uh, you know, a few days before it came out. And But Israel went ahead and leaked the embargoed copy to Israel lobby groups and to, um, for, you know, what it considers to be friendly media in an effort to try and get out ahead of it and discredit it and denounce it as anti-Semitic, which is now really the only weapon um, Israel has because it cannot refute the mountains of evidence about its decades-long persecution of the Palestinian people. So the only thing it can try to do is claim that, you know, people who don't think Palestinians should be persecuted by Israel are anti-Semites, are Jew-haters. And what's remarkable is that that uh, tactic, which is an old one by Israel, uh, really is failing. Uh, and as you pointed out, amnesty is very mainstream. I, I would even go further than that. Amnesty calls itself the largest human rights group in the world. And I think what makes Amnesty different even from Human Rights Watch or B'Tselem or other groups is that Amnesty uh, doesn't see itself simply as a, um, you know, an NGO that issues reports and then lets the world reach its conclusions. It considers itself a campaigning organization. So Amnesty isn't saying, you know, we did a report on apartheid and here it is. They're saying we are launching a campaign, a global campaign to end Israeli apartheid. And this is an organization with chapters, with chapters in dozens of countries that for decades has been doing grassroots campaigns around various issues of political rights and prisoners against conscience. And it's so mainstream. I mean, I remember my first encounter with Amnesty International was um, probably, uh, I hesitate to say this, about uh, 35 years ago. I was a child and I remember going to a supermarket with my father. Uh, this was in Belgium. And there was uh, an Amnesty International table at the door of the supermarket. So it's a very mainstream organization. And uh, that's a threat to Israel. It, it's because Israel can no longer say that, oh, it's just these far left radicals and anti-Semites and, you know, uh, extremists who, um, who are uh, uh, accusing us of apartheid. It's the world's biggest, most mainstream uh, human rights organization. Yeah, and I think what's really funny about this, in in a kind of uh, like a an almost slapstick way, like it's it's so strange to me, is this tweet that Amnesty published after trying to appease the all the critics from the you know Israel lobby attacking it, and I mean this this. Tweet just reminds me of like, you know, why do you keep punching yourself? Look at this. Uh, Amnesty International tweeted, does Amnesty oppose Israel's military occupation of Palestine? Amnesty hasn't taken a position on occupation. So yeah. 
I mean, the fact that you have this group that bends over backward, even to say that we don't actually oppose the occupation, but we recognize that it's apartheid. Yeah. I mean, it just shows it shows that this group is so desperate to to have this mainstream credibility and this group that that bends over backward to be as impartial as possible has to acknowledge the basic reality staring everyone in the face that it is completely undeniable that Israel's an apartheid regime yeah um to be fair, I mean, that tweet is absolutely ridiculous. The idea that amnesty doesn't or wouldn't uh, oppose the Israeli occupation is just, just offensive and absurd. But to be fair, that tweet comes from Amnesty International USA, from the US chapter. And uh, so the US chapter, I think, has been in a little bit of a panic, uh, as has the German chapter, which, which said, we're not going to... Uh, promote this report we're not going to do any events around it so there have been you know in the in america people are more scared of criticizing israel which perhaps is reflected in this really defensive stance from amnesty international usa and of course the german chapter we can get into some of the german reactions later but i just want to say that you know just maybe get back to basics because uh, not everyone will know uh, what we're talking about. You know, what even is apartheid? Because, I, I mean, I take it for granted. I'm old enough to remember uh, the campaign against apartheid in South Africa. Uh, but a lot of people watching this will probably not have their own memories of that. So I think they may not understand I mean, some people may not understand why the word apartheid is so explosive for Israel and why uh, Israel and its lobby and its political supporters in the US and Europe and elsewhere are in such denial about this. So I think we could, you know, it might be worth just giving, do you think it's worth just giving a basic explanation of the history and context of the term apartheid? Sure, please do. Yeah. So, of course, the term apartheid originates from South Africa. This is an Afrikaans word, Afrikaans being the, the language that uh, is closely related to Dutch, which was the native language of many of the European settlers and colonists in South Africa. Apartheid means apartness. And basically, in an American context, you could... Uh, describe it as Jim Crow or segregation. It was an official policy instituted in South Africa in 1948, um, which, of course, came after already three centuries of European settler colonialism in in uh, in Southern Africa. So you know, it wasn't like uh, it, it came out of the blue, but it was formally instituted in 1948 as a policy of racial segregation, of white supremacy, black uh, native people in South Africa had no political rights whatsoever, even though they were the overwhelming majority of the population. And a point that is often missed about apartheid in South Africa and in Palestine is that it is inseparable from settler colonialism. It's not segregation for the sake of segregation. Of course, it is motivated and animated by, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, notions of racial superiority. 
and a greater claim to the land. White Europeans thinking that you know they, uh, you know, they were coming on a mission to civilize Africa, and and so they had some greater right uh, to the land. But it's it's about uh, 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 removing the native people from the land. So the major part of apartheid. I mean, some of the things a lot of people know about apartheid in South Africa are the things that were similar to Jim Crow in the South. For example, separate facilities. You you know you had separate park benches for whites and uh, black people. You had separate schools, uh, separate areas, and so on. These are all features also of American apartheid. But what is less known about South Africa is the policy of grand apartheid, the forced removal of millions of people, of black people, from their land and from their homes, and forcing them into uh, uh, reservations, I guess that would be the closest analogy to the US, reservations similar to those that were created for Native Americans, which were nominally independent. So, and these reservations were called Bantustans. So the white government's critique, uh, sorry, the, the white supremacist government of South Africa's response to uh, growing international opposition to apartheid was to say, well, look, we've given black people their own homelands, their own independent states uh, that were called Bantistans, and there were 13 of them that were just these deeply impoverished uh, reservations far away from the centers of uh, the economy that people were relegated to, and that were, of course, puppet states. They weren't really independent. They were controlled by the white racist regime and the black leaders that the Bantistans had were uh, puppet regimes that uh, were collaborators with the white supremacist regime. And not a single um, country in the world uh, recognized the independence of the Bantistans. It was a fiction that nobody recognized. It was an obvious ruse that this was an effort to hide the white supremacist nature of the apartheid regime. And so a key aspect of apartheid in Palestine is that the Palestinian Authority is an exact analogy to uh, the Bantistans. And that's an important thing that I think is often uh, underplayed. I just want to also go back to one thing, that when an organization like Amnesty International or Human Rights Watch or B'Tselem, or indeed the many Palestinian organizations and uh, analysts who uh, described Israeli apartheid decades before any of these human rights groups, when they talk about apartheid, uh, they're not just talking about, oh, this is a direct comparison with South Africa. Of course, there are many, many similarities with the South African apartheid regime between Israel and the South African apartheid regime. But that's not the point, because there are also differences. South African apartheid and Israeli apartheid are not identical. The reference is that um, the crime of apartheid was actually codified in international law, in customary international law, and in uh, various uh, international legal instruments. So, for example, uh, the key document was is the International Convention on the Suppression and Punishment of the crime of apartheid, which was um, uh, first adopted 
1974 and entered into force in 1976. And it defines the crime of apartheid. The convention is, you know, is longer, but the key point of it, uh, the, the key definition of the crime of apartheid is when a state commits uh, various inhuman and inhumane acts for the purpose of establishing and maintaining domination by one racial group of persons over any other racial group of persons and systematically oppressing them. And uh, the definition of inhuman and inhumane acts includes a whole range of things. You can basically think of this as the whole range of major uh, human rights abuses from killing, uh, uh, forced removal from land, uh, political repression, uh, jailing people for, for their political activity, persecuting organizations because they oppose apartheid. These are all things that Israel does that are mentioned in the convention. And so uh, what Amnesty says is that, uh, you know, just kind of the overall uh sort of the, the 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 key point of their finding is that the discrimination the dispossession the repression of dissent the killings and injuries that uh, are all part of a system which is designed to privilege jewish israelis at the expense of the palestinians um, and amnesty's investigation shows that israel imposes a system of oppression and domination against Palestinians across all areas under its control in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories and against Palestinian refugees in order to benefit Jewish Israelis. This amounts to apartheid as prohibited in uh, international law. Um, so Amnesty goes on also to make uh, a number of recommendations that uh, we should talk about. But that is kind of an overview of what apartheid is. And, and I should, uh, one other thing that's so important to mention is that the convention defines apartheid as a crime against humanity. Uh, so it, it, apartheid is up there with genocide as one of the, uh, of the most serious international crimes. And that was confirmed uh, by its inclusion in the Rome Statute, the founding document of the International Criminal Court, uh, which uh, I think was which was established in 2000. So again, the crime of apartheid is defined as one of the most serious international crimes, a crime against humanity, which falls under the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. And this is another key reason why this is so dangerous to Israel, because the ICC is currently conducting an investigation on the situation in Palestine and could potentially, if the uh, ICC prosecutor is courageous and principled enough, uh, he could include the crime of apartheid in his investigations. Yeah, that's that's a very important point. I'm the new prosecutor of the ICC, I don't have a lot of confidence in. He did drop the investigation into U.S. and NATO war crimes in Afghanistan in, in a very shady case. But, I mean, there's still a possibility of, of action against apartheid Israel. And on, on the subject of, 
of likening it to the situation in apartheid South Africa, understanding that there are, of course, differences. I just think we should briefly mention that the South African anti-apartheid leader, Bishop Desmond Tutu, who just passed away a few weeks ago, he himself declared that his experience in apartheid South Africa was very similar to what he witnessed in Palestine. He said, quote, I know firsthand that Israel has created an apartheid reality within its borders and through its occupation. The parallels to my own beloved South Africa are painfully stark. Indeed, he also, by the way, mentioned that the only way to, to end apartheid peacefully is through economic pressure, which is a hint at supporting the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, BDS. But before we, we get to BDS, Ali, because that's I want to end with that, talking about what people can do. I want to talk about the response of other Western governments. You, you hinted at the response of the German government. Here is a tweet from the German ambassador to Israel who said, Germany rejects such terms as apartheid, as a one-sided focus on criticism of Israel, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's one-sided because one side is, is waging apartheid on the other side. So... I want to I get your response to that. And then, of course, we see that the German ambassador invoked anti-Semitism in Europe as if that's somehow in any way related, which is absolutely ridiculous. It shows how Zionism conflates Judaism around the world in countries in Europe with the crimes of the Israeli apartheid regime in West Asia. And then I, I want you to also respond to the U.S. government's response. The U.S government said that that it's absurd they called amnesty international's designation absurd so what do you take what, what's your response to these comments from western governments yeah i mean the first thing to say is that uh, of course the the evidence here is not in dispute we're not talking about you know this is just amnesty international found this uh, or even that it's amnesty international and human rights watch and betselem we're talking about an uncon uncontested decades, mountains of evidence. And, and if anything, we should be criticizing Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, and B'Tselem and others for taking so long to, uh, to come to this conclusion based on the, the evidence that even these, these governments recognize. So, you know, what makes up the evidence for the crime of apartheid includes Israel's uh, constant theft of Palestinian land for settlements, colonial settlements, which is something the German government itself rejects and criticizes. They, the German, even the German government will, will uh, verbally, of course it's lip service only, say that Israel's uh, settlements are illegal and a violation of international law and so on. And the U.S. government, if you read the State, Depart the State Department's uh, annual human rights report. I've just read just read the most uh, recent one. It describes uh, all the uh, many of the horrific abuses that Israel commits against Palestinians. So they don't dispute the evidence, but the the implications uh, for them admitting that this is an apartheid regime are immense because the, these are all governments that. Um, uh, strongly support Israel. And so for them to admit that this uh, state that they give such backing to, the U.S. 
uh, arms Israel, gives Israel uh, almost $4 billion a year. I think that's even more now because of the extra funding that uh, uh, several members of the squad helped push through Congress. Um, but, uh, and Germany as well arms Israel. Uh, so for them to admit that this is an apartheid regime committing, uh, you know, one of the most heinous crimes uh, next to the crime of genocide is uh, politically untenable for them. And, and I think it exposes, you know, Palestine, the question of Palestine is always the canary in the coal mine that exposes their utter hypocrisy, uh, you know, when they babble about and lecture about human rights and democracy around the world. Uh, it, it all gets exposed. The, 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 just the sheer deceptiveness and hypocrisy and fakery and demagoguery of their alleged commitment to human rights is laid bare when it comes to, uh, to the question of Palestine. With Germany, of course, there's the additional factor that uh, Germany uh, as a state and German elites have never come to terms with the uh, Nazi uh, Holocaust, with the genocide of, of six million Jews and millions of, uh, of, of other people uh, before and during World War II. They claim to, they claim they have this, uh, you know, remembrance culture or whatever it is. They're constantly preaching to us never again. But then look at that tweet from the German ambassador who's saying that, that recognizing the humanity of Palestinians, recognizing that they're being persecuted. Uh, on a racial basis, somehow is anti-Semitic. So if you unpack that, what's there? It's that, that Germany, German elites have decided that instead of dealing with their anti-Semitism, which is there when you look at the rise of the far right and the neo-Nazi uh, alternative for Deutschland, uh, they want to externalize that. They want to export their guilt by saying that, Palestinians have to pay the price for the Holocaust and that uh, Germany is going to give unconditional support to Israel, a racist apartheid state, supposedly to uh, atone for, for German, the German government's murder of millions of Jewish people. Nothing could be more offensive or hypocritical uh, to, to say that somehow uh, aiding and abetting the persecution of Palestinians uh, makes up for uh, the German genocide of Jewish people. It's a refusal uh, of the Germans to deal with their anti-Semitism, to deal with their genocidal political culture, which has simply uh, uh, exchanged targets uh, from uh, targeting Jews now to targeting and justifying the persecution of Palestinians. Uh, but this rot, this moral rot, this intellectual rot, although it is most visible in Germany, is really prevalent across Europe, where at the same time that uh, the Germans uh, and other governments, European Union governments, are constantly saying, oh, we have to remember the Holocaust and fight against anti-Semitism and learn the lessons and say never again. They're attacking supporters of Palestinian rights as anti-Semites while arming and supporting Nazis in Ukraine. Maybe you perhaps you can explain that to me, Ben, because, you know, I don't understand that. 
<laughs> well, and as you all at the Electronic Intifada have, have reported, Israel has also been arming Nazis in Ukraine. There's, there's videos of fighters from the Azov Battalion, a neo-Nazi group that is now part of the Ukrainian National Guard, using, uh, using Israeli weapons. And that was posted to, to YouTube. But your comments about Germany and the current German government trying to make Palestinians pay for the crimes of German Nazism, it, it reminds me of an incident that happened last year when you did an interview with German state media, DW, and you, yes. pointed, you pointed out these same comments. Your, your comment was, it is time for the people of Germany and German elites to stop making Palestinian children in the Gaza Strip pay for the crimes of the German people against European Jews. I mean, a very reasonable statement that, that Germany should be held accountable for the crimes of Nazism, not Palestinians. But if I remember correctly, they actually took down, they removed your interview, they took down the video, and then they started attacking you as an anti-Semite, which right. shows how quick they are to, to attack anyone who criticizes apartheid Israel as an anti-Semite. Yeah, well, they, what happened was, and the video is available at the Electronic Intifada, the Deutsche Welle interview that I did with the German government uh, uh, official broadcaster, which follows an official government line. I mean, there's this pretense that uh, Western public media is somehow independent. Yeah, it's funded by the government, but it's, it's independent. Uh, some documents were leaked after this interview showing that the, the German uh, government broadcaster is actually... Uh, you know, bound by rules that forbid criticism of Israel or forbid talking about Israeli apartheid. And what happened, I was invited on Deutsche Welle to give this, to give an interview. Um, and, I, you know, the interview is there, people can watch it. And after the interview, uh, Deutsche Welle issued a statement through the German press agency smearing me as an anti-Semite. It's extraordinary. I mean, you know, so rude as well. You invite a guest on and then you attack them in, in, uh, in, in the media. But this was emblematic of uh, the general uh, repressive political situation in Germany where uh, any kind of uh, criticism of Israel is forbidden and support for Palestinian rights is routinely equated with anti-Jewish bigotry. And we have to recognize the Jew hatred that is at the heart of this German policy because it equates Israel and Zionism on the one hand with being Jewish and Judaism on the other. So, you know, Palestinians don't oppose Israel or resist Israel because it's Jewish. They resist Israel because it's a colonizer that is forcing them off their land and killing them and persecuting them. The, the Algerians didn't fight uh, French colonialism and French repression because they didn't like red wine and... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Chopin or, wh or whatever it is that, or Brie. That's not why <laughs> the Algerians fought against uh, the French. Uh, the Indians didn't resist British colonialism because they don't like, uh, I don't know what it would be, uh, lace curtains the, or... The, the worst food on earth. <laughs> or cricket. I mean, they love cricket, actually. So the idea that, you know, it's just so cheap and so lazy to claim that uh, Palestinians resist Israel because it's Jewish. Palestinians don't care that Israel is, claims to be a Jewish state. 
Who cares that it claims to be a Jewish state? Israel is an oppressor. It's a colonizer. And it wouldn't matter if it was French or British or German or, or whatever, whatever it is. And in fact, it is French and British and German because uh, the Israeli colonial project wouldn't exist without the billions in funding and weaponry and support it gets from the United States, from Canada, from the European Union, from Australia. Notice anything about that, by the way. It's all the Anglo and European settler colonial powers. And whenever you look at a UN vote related to Palestinian rights, and you know they show a map of the countries of how they voted, it's always the, the European states and their colonial extensions, the US, Canada, and Australia, and a couple of, uh, you know, a, f a few other outliers that uh, are on the side of Israel and the rest of the world that uh, stands for Palestinian rights. That's not a coincidence. It's that, that Israel is fundamentally a settler colonial project, and uh, these countries uh, uh, identify with the Israeli settler colonial project and support it. And there is the additional factor or justification that uh, it allows them to claim that somehow they're atoning for um, you know the the uh, European Christian genocide of European Jews yeah and this this brings me to a very good article that you all published at electronic Intifada talking about how Israel has responded to this amnesty report which like I said I mean we can get to it in a bit. There's a lot to criticize about Amnesty International, but this is one of the few things that's not worthy to that's not worthy of criticism. Amnesty has done a lot of it, it definitely has a pro-Western bias when it comes to countries in Latin America like Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, Bolivia, etc. It has a very strong anti-China, anti-Russia bias. But the fact that Amnesty International is so pro-Western, I think actually makes its its admission that Israel's an apartheid regime even more powerful. And this is a report that you all published that Michael F. Brown published at the Electronic Intifada called Israel's Smears Against Amnesty Fail to Hide Apartheid. And this, this article is great because it shows that really the only response that Israel has had to this, to this report is to call Amnesty International anti-Semitic, which, which is incredible. It shows how ridiculous and how baseless this accusation of anti-Semitism is, how it Israel and its supporters throw this around at anyone who, who mildly criticizes Israel. And, and even you have liberal Zionist newspapers in Israel like Haaretz referring to Israel's response as hysterical, as they put in this column. So what do you, what do you take of, what is your take on Israel's response and its attempt to smear anyone citing Amnesty International as anti-Semitic. Yeah, it, it, the, the Israeli claim that critics of Israel uh, just hate Jews is a very old one. It goes back decades. Um, so that's not new. It's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a claim they've made for decades. But I think in the last few years, it's been made with increasing abandon. In other words, uh, they used to say, well, you know, 
there is some criticism of Israel that's allowed. You know, you can you can criticize it like you might criticize another. You know, you, they were never very clear what criticism you were allowed to make. Uh, but the idea was there is some. You know, in theory, there's legitimate criticisms you can make, but you can't question Israel's so-called right to exist, or you can't speak truthfully about how Israel was created through the deliberate and planned ethnic cleansing of 800,000 Palestinians and the destruction of their towns and villages so that they couldn't return. So, you know, you you, you can only criticize Israel within these very narrow confines. What's changed now is that uh, any, even the mildest criticism of Israel is met with a claim that, well, you just hate Jews. You, you, you know, you must support Hitler. And it's, of course, ridiculous on its face, but it's also a sign of just the utter bankruptcy, the fact that Israel has no answer to the mountains of evidence that, that the whole world can see about how it is persecuting Palestinians, stealing their land, killing them every day, uh, and, and, it per, and, and it permits no possible resistance by there's no legitimate resistance that Israel will allow by Palestinians. So peaceful resistance is met with snipers, as we saw during the Great March of Return in Gaza. Uh, families, whole families coming out unarmed to protest for their rights at the Gaza ghetto fence, gunned down by snipers in cold blood. So peaceful protest isn't allowed. Boycott, divestment, and sanctions. The, the campaign that the late great Desmond Tutu supported, he said that the international campaign of boycott, divestment, and sanctions was crucial to ending apartheid in South Africa, which is why he supported it in the case of, of Palestine. That Israel calls terrorism. Uh, the United States condemns it. The European Union condemns it. Uh, dozens of U.S. states, two dozen U.S. states have attempted to outlaw uh, peaceful boycott, divestment, uh, and sanctions initiatives. Uh, they failed to do so, but you know the the, the initiative has been there. So uh, that kind of protest is is uh, not allowed. And of course, any form of armed resistance is labeled terrorism. So as far as Israel and its supporters are concerned, the only thing that there are two things Palestinians can do surrender and lay down and die and allow Israel to steal their land without a fight, or engage in the pretense of a so-called peace process, which goes on forever and ever and goes nowhere while Israel completes its uh, uh, colonization of remaining Palestinian land uh, while uh, getting to uh, you know, say, oh, but look, we're having a dialogue with the Palestinians. We're in favor of peace and we want to talk to them. So, um, so th for for Israel and its supporters, no uh, Palestinian resistance is legitimate or permissible. The only thing Palestinians can do is surrender or collaborate, like the Palestinian Authority. And even then, as much as the Palestinian Authority collaborates with Israel, arresting them, torturing them, killing them on behalf of Israel, the Palestinian Authority does all those things. It's still not enough. They're still labeled terrorists and Israel and its lobby in Washington and its chorus in Congress are still 
saying the Palestinian Authority are terrorists and they're not doing enough. So even collaborating fully with your oppressors, as the Palestinian Authority does, is not enough. And so uh, that's that's really important for people to understand. There's you for uh, the, the Israel will never take yes for an answer from Palestinians. You could say we surrender, we give you our land without a fight. Uh, we we will collaborate with you if any Palestinians uh, 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 don't agree to give to give up without a fight. We'll arrest them and kill them for you. This is what the Palestinian Authority has done. It's still not enough for Israel. So we are dealing with a. You know, I, I think that uh, it's it's important that Amnesty has come out and recognized apartheid. But in another article we published at the Electronic Intifada today by my colleague Maureen Murphy, uh, she points out that although the Amnesty report is really useful and is really a watershed in terms of international advocacy, uh, and Amnesty goes much further than Human Rights Watch and B'Tselem and others in terms of its recommendations. Even then, uh, this report falls short by failing to recognize the settler colonial context of the Zionist project in Palestine. And settler colonialism is ultimately genocidal because, uh, as Maureen writes, the Zionist settlers did not come from Europe with the intent to dominate and persecute Palestinians uh, and establish an apartheid regime, they came with the intent to take their land and remove them, just as settlers uh, in North America came to take the land from indigenous people and remove them. The fact that they were unable to remove them uh, all, the fact that the Palestinians resisted and remained, means that Israel established an apartheid regime by necessity from its own perspective. But that wasn't the goal. The goal is to take the land and get rid of the people. So ultimately, we have to understand that settler colonialism is genocidal. It's, it's, and, and we have to be able to say it, that settler colonialism, its goal is to remove and destroy the uh, indigenous people who stand in the way of the settler colonialist expansion. So even, uh, you know, the, these reports that, that focus on Israeli apartheid really don't go far enough in recognizing the reality, but they do nonetheless provide a framework within existing international law to, uh, to uh, uh, describe and combat uh, the uh, the crimes against humanity that, that Palestinians are experiencing. And uh, Amnesty recommends um, the, that, uh, that, that the crime of apartheid that's going on in Palestine be prosecuted and pursued in the context of uh, uh, the existing international law as crimes against humanity. And I'll point out, too, one thing I wanted to mention earlier is that if you look at the Genocide Convention, sorry, not the Genocide Convention, the Apartheid Convention of 1974, it calls for prosecuting uh, people wherever they are, whether they're in the state or territory where apartheid is being committed or outside it, 
for acts that uh, directly abet, encourage, or cooperate in the commission of the crime of apartheid, which means German officials, European officials, American officials, and others. You know, if we had a functioning uh, international legal system, uh, the German officials should face trial for uh, abetting and cooperating with the Israeli crime of apartheid against the Palestinian people. Very well said, very well said. And you you referenced something that I want to try to unpack here and, you know, not not to uh, to be one of those uh, annoying liberals, but I actually want to try to have a little nuance when it comes to this amnesty report. And that's understanding also, I think, what's happening, which I think is reflected very well in this tweet that I'm going to get up from Yara at YSXSH, um, a Palestinian activist, great activist. She said, friendly reminder that Amnesty International repeatedly condemns Palestinian resistance and is a central part in the rewriting of the Palestinian struggle into a liberal framework of human rights and international law. So obviously, I, I, you know, you support the right of Palestinians to resist, which is enshrined in international law, by the way. But I'm not saying that you espouse this at all. You're a, a very good exception to this. But there definitely is a tendency that you have talked about before of the, the attempt to kind of professionalize the Palestinian struggle, to turn it into like a, a respectable NGO struggle that is that is also friendly to the Democratic Party in some ways, even though the Democratic Party still is not on board with recognizing that Israel is an apartheid state. But I'm wondering what you what you think about this argument that we should we should certainly celebrate the fact that mainstream NGOs like Amnesty International, which, as I've said many times, and I'll repeat, basically act as kind of de facto arms of Western governments and how they they selectively target governments like Venezuela and Syria and Iran and China and Nicaragua and Cuba. So we can recognize their double standards. I think we can we can all we can all definitely agree that it's a good thing that they now acknowledge that Israel's an apartheid regime. But do you think that there's this is also part of this effort to try to tame the Palestinian struggle, to put it in a box? And specifically, do you think that it's also part of this effort that we've seen in recent years to divide the Palestine solidarity movement even further because we've seen a similar attempt by these NGOs like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch being at the center of this drive to say, well, we support human rights, but we support basically the Western regime change operations in Syria and Libya and Iran and now China and in the Western province of Xinjiang and all of this. What do you think about that that contradiction? I, I, like I said, I mean, you know, uh, woke liberals love to talk about nuance. And usually when they talk about nuance, it's nuance in the interest of empire. But I think this might be interest in the interest. Sorry, this might be nuance in the interest of anti-imperialism that we're talking about here. Look, you know, take Amnesty and Human Rights Watch, the two best known Western human rights organizations. These are Cold War organizations. You know, they have their roots in the Cold War and they were part of a so-called human rights narrative that aimed to weaponize uh, the concept of human rights against, uh, principally against the Soviet Union. And as others have written, uh, 
Joseph Massad, for example, has written a number of articles and addressed this in his books, which I think is such an important uh, critique that uh, the the framework of human rights that you know we that that still predominates now was about um, framing rights as uh, what might be called liberties, things like freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of conscience and so on. Whereas rights in the Soviet Union were defined uh, in a different way, things like a right to have a job, a right to have housing, a right not to be, you know, starving in the street. And uh, generally people in the Soviet Union, they did have housing, they did have jobs, they weren't maybe not had the same standard of living as the highest, uh, uh, you know, as people in other parts of the world. But the idea was everyone had a right to housing. Uh, that right did not exist in the in the West, certainly not in the United States. So you, you know, the United States could proclaim about how oh, freedom of speech is the highest value. While uh, you know America, while you had Jim Crow in the United States, and while you had uh, you know rapacious capitalism that that can destroy lives without any um, uh, without any limits, so they were part of a discourse that uh, was meant to uh, restrict discussion of rights to these liberal rights, while excluding social rights, things like healthcare, housing, jobs the things that keep you alive, excluding them from the concept of rights. So that's, that's the, the framework, the liberal framework for human rights that isn't definitely inadequate. Because if you look at post-apartheid South Africa, you know, all the liberal rights were fulfilled in the constitution, the right to vote, uh, you know, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and so on. But uh, at the, at the, at the expense of economic rights, at the expense of economic democracy, uh, so that uh, you know the the wealth and the the economic wealth remained in the in the hands of the white minority who had historically stolen it from uh, the majority. So that critique is is very valid and very important, and uh, we cannot. Uh, uh, you know, we cannot allow ourselves to be restricted by it. So I think it's entirely correct that these organizations like Amnesty and Human Rights Watch, by and large, by and large still serve the interests of uh, a particularly American, but broadly Western narratives. But I think their credibility, you know, it's not them setting the narrative. I think that if Palestinians were not resisting, were not pushing, if there were not people in the world uh, in solidarity with Palestinians, all of these liberal, liberal organizations would happily ignore the issue of Palestine. They're not the ones setting the agenda. They're not the ones setting the narrative. And I think that their credibility as human rights organizations depends on them recognizing the reality in Palestine. So I, I prefer to look at it to say that Palestinians, through their resistance in all its forms, are forcing even these liberal human rights organizations to recognize 
the reality because you cannot claim to be a human rights organization if you do not address the uh, glaring reality of persecution that Israel, with the support of the, the West, uh, is uh, inflicting on Palestinians and has been inflicting on them for decades. So, and the, the thing I, the point I made earlier is also true is that we're not relying, you know, on uh, just on Amnesty or Human Rights Watch to tell us what's happening in Palestine. Yes, they do go out and do research, and it is uh, uh, often useful. Uh, I cite it in, in the work I do from time to time. But that it's it's not as if these things are not documented in countless UN reports, in countless journalistic reports, in the experiences of Palestinians that Palestinians will tell you every day if anyone wants to listen to them. So the, they're having to confront a reality that they too cannot deny. But even, even so, groups like Amnesty and Human Rights Watch do uh, falsely equate the oppressor with the oppressed. Human Rights Watch, for example, uh, in its reporting on Israel's uh, attack on Gaza last May, which was around the time the incident happened with uh, uh, Deutsche Welle that we talked about earlier, equate Palestinian resistance with uh, Israeli aggression and occupation colonization. In other words, they, you know, they try to both sides the issue. Uh, Israel is committing horrific crimes, but Palestinians are firing unguided rockets at uh, Israel, which makes, which is inherently a war crime. If you, un that they claim, if you unpack that argument, what they're saying is completely absurd. They're saying that Unless Palestinians have uh, precision-guided weapons supplied by Raytheon and Boeing, then anything they do to resist is inherently a war crime. So if you follow their logic, only people who have the highest level of precision weapons have a right to resist. Obviously, that's ridiculous. So there are many shortcomings in the framework of these human rights organizations, but it is it is nonetheless significant that despite their liberal framing, despite their uh, overall subservience to uh, American imperial uh, hegemony and narratives, they are forced to admit the reality that Israel commits the crime against humanity of apartheid against the Palestinian people. Well, on that note, Ali, I know that you have to leave where our time is limited. So in the last three or four minutes here, I'm wondering if we can just conclude this conversation talking about ways people watching this and listening to this as a podcast after ways that they can help support the rights of Palestinians who are resisting apartheid. And, and I think clearly the BDS movement is probably one of the most important ways, but maybe you have some other thoughts. Well, you know, uh, I think uh, so soon after his passing, it's it's right to remember and honor and celebrate uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who was such an important voice of the twentieth uh, and twenty first century, a leader in the struggle against apartheid in South Africa, and he stressed the importance of international solidarity and isolating 
and ostracizing the apartheid regime in South Africa. And he that's why he supported boycotting, divesting from, and sanctioning uh, Israel. And I think people uh, uh, should join campaigns. You know, I haven't looked into all of the campaigns Amnesty is launching, but if they're launching campaigns against Israeli apartheid, support them. If there are local boycott, divestment, and sanctions campaigns, support them. There are lots of resources online about existing campaigns or past campaigns. You might start your own. But I think also people need to, especially in the United States, and especially those who consider themselves on the left, is no longer accept lip service from those who are coming to you for your votes, for your money, for your support and telling and saying free Palestine before an election and then voting to fund Israel's military once they're in Congress. We have to draw a line. Palestinians, you know, we can't let Germany use Palestinians, uh, but we also can't let, let so-called progressives and people on the left use Palestinians, use the issue of Palestine to win votes and win progressive credibility, then sell them out when we get to Congress. I can, you know, just because a situation has been going on for decades does not mean we can tolerate it for another single day. And this is the thing I, I keep coming back to, is the urgency of ending Israeli apartheid. The, the, the scale of the catastrophe that, that Israel is perpetrating on people, not just lives lost, but futures destroyed. So many young people who could have produced and done so much with their lives Whose, whose, whose lives were shattered, whose horizons were smashed because they live under this oppressive system, generation after generation after generation. And it's been going on for almost eight decades, and it can't go on for another uh, five years or 10 years or 20 years. We have to end Israeli apartheid. And people need to understand that the roots of Israeli apartheid, the supply lines of Israeli apartheid, the, the um, financing of Israeli apartheid comes from the United States, comes from Europe, and now, unfortunately, comes from some of the uh, uh, Arab client regimes in the Gulf as well. But people in all these countries have to, you know, when you're resisting apart Israeli apartheid, that resistance is in your country. It's in the United States. It's in Britain. It's in France, because this is where the support for Israeli apartheid comes from. And this is how, you know, Palestinians are resisting in Palestine, and they have an absolute right to resist. But they need us to resist in the US, in Europe, in all the places that are the strongholds of Israel's apartheid regime. Well said. On that note, uh, we have to go. So I want to thank Ali Abunima, great friend of the show, one of the best journalists that we're very privileged to have in the United States working with the Electronic Intifada. You can find that at electronicintifada.net. And you can follow Ali at Twitter, at Ali Abunima. He's always one of the, the best people to follow. I, I always love his analysis and, and, his, and his persistence. His samud, right? Samud, his steadfastness and, and the fact that he will never give up the struggle for liberation. So, Ali, it is always a pleasure to have you. I wish we could have had more time, but definitely we'll have you back in the future. And keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Ben. Talk to you soon. 
And I'm going to say goodbye to everyone here on the stream. If you want to listen to this episode, if you didn't check out the beginning, you can go check out the podcast at Multipolarista. You can find that on Spotify and iTunes and SoundCloud and every other platform. It's just called the Multipolarista podcast. And if you want to support the work that I do here, the original independent journalism, you can go to multipolarista.com slash support. I want to thank everyone who joined us on this stream. I want to thank all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash multipolarista. And we will see you next week for our weekly stream and podcast here at Multipolarista.